0: This morning we're going to be in in the book of Luke, so if you turn to your your Bibles to Luke chapter nine um, we're going to start there and uh, this is a verse that you guys um, have probably studied um, have definitely heard before if you've been in the church any any length of time, you will understand um, this verse. you will know what this verse says and and but what I think we're going to learn today is that um, this verse is, um, is a little bit more than what we've heard and what we've read in the past. So Luke chapter nine, verse 23 says this. Then he said to them all, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, to the people that were interested in Jesus and, and willing to follow Jesus. He says this, if anyone desires to come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So um, I'm not a big fan of statistics, so I thought I would start with one this morning um, to captivate you and grab your attention right off the bat. So if you guys want to hear a statistic, here's one. Uh, there was a, a Gallup, um, research company. They did a poll and they polled the United States, America, and, and they, they did a poll saying how many people are evangelical Christians and the number that they came back was staggering people that would call themselves an evangelical Christian. That number is 77%. So as the Bible describes Jesus, you know, he says, um, if you want to be my follower, it's deny yourself, take up your cross. Daily and follow me, right? So there's 77% of the United States that um, say that they do that, that they follow Jesus. But if that were true, that means there are 243 million people, 750,500. So let me say that again 243,750,500 people out there sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, baptizing people, um, calling people to repentance um, giving to people, helping them with their walk in Christ. Now, do you think the United States would look a little bit different if that statistic were actually fact? So there's a problem here. There's people that call themselves a Christian, a Christ follower, but they really aren't. They like the idea, but they don't want to do what it takes to truly follow Jesus. Um, what it takes to follow Jesus is, is bearing each other's burdens, is loving on one another, is, is the, the discipleship method, or our growth group model is discipleship, community, and accountability. These things are absolutely essential to your spiritual life and to your spiritual health. And so why, why do people call themselves a Christian, and yet those things, they don't want to follow Jesus? Why do people call themselves a Christian, but they really don't want to follow Jesus? They don't want to do What it takes. I don't think people really know what it takes to be be a Christ follower. I think that they like the idea of Jesus. They want Jesus to... make them feel good or help them in a rough time, but they really don't want to follow him. And it's not about just calling on Jesus when, when things get bad, it's about having Jesus infiltrate your whole life. So Luke nine twenty three. let me read it again. Cause I want this verse to really stick with you guys. It says, then Jesus said, he said to them all, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him t- deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Being a follower isn't about, um, air one playing in your car or having the "Not of this world sticker on the back, you know, on your bumper, or it's not about having a cross on your wall or a cross on your, on your arm. It's not about those things. It's not about going to church faithfully every Sunday, being involved in a growth group. It's not about being a follower. It's not about what we can offer Jesus. It's if Jesus has, has changed us from the inside out. And that's what being a true follower of Jesus is all about. Has nothing to do with our academics or our performance. Has to do with Jesus changing us. And us denying those things that are sinful pleasures that that we want to indulge in. It's about denying those things. So if 243,750,500 Christians in the United States. Then why? Why is there murder? Why is there rape? Why is there drug abuse? Why is there senseless killing, school bombing? Why is the Middle East, like, why, why? If there are that many Christians in the United States, then why? It's because they're not truly followers. They're just fans. And there's a difference. So what's the difference between a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus? Because they're not the same. We look at the, the follower and we say, wow, they go to church, you know, their, their kids are involved in, in the, the student ministries or, or they're even in a growth group maybe or they, they may stay on Sunday to help tear down or, or they may go to the homeless shelter which are all great things but those don't qualify you as a follower. So why don't, they, don't, they don't really understand what it takes to be a follower. So what's the difference Stand follower, follower, fan? Well, let's look at, um, I think to understand the difference we got to look at what a, what a fan means. Um, a fan is someone who likes Jesus. They love Jesus. They love what Jesus offers. They, 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 they play nothing but Christian music on the radio, right? They wear the, the t-shirts. They, they come to church. How many of you guys are familiar with the phrase CEO Christian, a Christmas or Christians, Christmas and Easter only Christian. Well, a follower or a fan is much more than even that. They may come three, four times out of the month, to church, They may be really committed to going to church. I mean, look at the the sizes of the churches in America. We have churches with with 30,000 people in them. Do you think of with all the churches there are throughout just our community here in Temecula, Murrieta, the Inland Empire right here, with all the churches and all the people in the seats, um, why why, is, why has nothing changed? Why are, why? It's because people, they come to church because it makes them feel good. They come to church because they know they need something, but it really doesn't take root and change their life. They don't truly have a relationship with Jesus. And so we're going to look at today uh, the difference between a fan and a follower. So let me read Luke one more time. I want this to sink in. It says, Jesus, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Most of us would call that person that I, that I talked about, the person that comes to church and helps and, and serves and goes to homeless shelters, and, and they would call that person a follower. But I think that this is the, the reason why there's 77% of America that calls themselves evangelical Christians is they don't really know what following Jesus means. They're not willing to do what it takes to follow Jesus. People can label yourselves. I mean, you can go into a, just me going into a donut shop doesn't make me a cop, right? (laughs) Me wearing like, you know, workout clothes doesn't make me fit. It's just merely you putting on and me putting on a a facade for others to see. But that doesn't qualify us as a cop or as someone who is physically in shape. Um, So, what sets a follower apart from a fan. We looked at a follower or a fan. We said a fan loves Jesus, loves his teachings, wants to go to church because it makes them feel good. They even, they even give to the church or, or they even maybe serve and, and they, they've done awanas or, or they've done uh, VBS or something like that. Um, and, and it wasn't necessarily for selfish desires, but they did it, but their life doesn't look any different at home. So, that's a fan. Now, let's look at what a true follower of Jesus really is. Luke 9 23 again, then, if anyone desires to come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus calls his followers to action. That's the difference. The difference between a fan, someone who likes Jesus, appreciates him, and someone who actually does is a follower, is action. Think about it. We can call ourselves whatever we want. I can call myself uh, a cop. I can call myself uh, whatever I want. But unless I prove that through the fruit in my life, then what am I? I'm just really a poser, or I'm just saying something that really has no merit because I don't back it up. Right? Jesus... um, Jesus, he calls us to action. He calls us to change. So let me ask you this question. If you want to know what a, what a follower is, uh, if you want to know if you are a follower, or um, if, to kind of find where that line is, think about this. Does Jesus, his teaching, his word, does it cause a change in your life? Has it, take, has it taken root in your life and changed you? Or is the Bible and his teachings... More of a seven steps to a better you kind of program where, you know, you read these books and they're good and they're written by, you know, all these super motivational speaker guys. And they're all about, you know, do this, 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 and this, and then your life will be awesome. You'll you'll be, you'll be a better you. But Jesus says, no, it's about denying yourself, killing yourself and, and killing your pride. It's about killing your selfish desires and follow, submit and follow. It's not if you do this, 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 and this, you'll be better. It's no, forget about all that and it's die to yourself and follow. So being a Christian is, and being a follower is about denying yourself. There's no seven step program. And this is again, that 77, that 243,750,500. This is where those people get caught up because they don't want to deny themselves. They like Jesus. Jesus. They do. I mean, who doesn't like Jesus? How could you not like Jesus, right? He literally gave bread to the poor. He turned water into wine, like, at a wedding. I mean, that alone would, like, you know, people would be doing backflips for Jesus, right? Like, what's not to like about Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us to do some hard things. It's not about just what Jesus is doing and doing miracles in our lives. It's about Jesus and what he tells us to do. What does he really tell us to do? Die. Die to yourself. Submit. That's what he tells us to do. And the, you know, 77% of, of, of evangelical um, Christians, they say, I like Jesus, but I'm not, really, I'm not willing to die. I'm not willing to give up my right. They, they like Jesus, but they don't want any accountability. They don't want any, anyone discipling them. They, wanted, they want Jesus on their terms. Pastor Ted gives this awesome analogy, and I'm going to steal it and use it and call it my own. So, um, I just said it was his, so I can't. But, so, have you guys ever gotten a flat tire? Right? Hopefully you haven't, but if you have. So, what do you have? You typically have a what in the back seat? A spare, hopefully not in the back seat, that'd be really weird. But in in the trunk or underneath the car, you have a spare, right? It's a little donut. And what do you use? Use that donut to put on your car when your tire is flat to get you to the place that will really fix it, right? And so we treat Jesus as if he's a spare tire from time to time, don't we? When things get tough, all of a sudden we're blasting out on, uh, you know, uh, all of our friends pray and, and, and Jesus is number one and, and all these things happen. I mean, I've been there as well, um, but really when, when things get back to, back to normal, what do we do? When we get to the tire shop, we take the spare, throw him in the trunk and we never see him again until we're in trouble. Well, that's what a fan does. That's not what a follower does. A follower doesn't only cry out to Jesus when they want something or when times are tough. Now, I'm not saying we can't cry out to Jesus when we want something or when, when times are tough. But there's the difference is that we as Christians, as followers of Christ, that's not the only time that we do that. We ought to do that every single day. Says so we ought to bring everything to him. Everything, not just our, our problems or our, our baggage. We're supposed to bring everything to him. So being a, being a Christ follower is about Jesus um, infiltrating every area of our life. Every area. Not just the good times. Not just when it's bad. But being a, a Christ follower is about Jesus coming in and taking hold of your life and transforming you from the inside out. And that's what Jesus asks of me. That's what Jesus asks of you. Is that he takes control of every. Single area of your life That is your, your finances That is your career That is your marriage That is your relationship with your children Students, this is your relationship With your parents And with your boyfriends or girlfriends Which you shouldn't even have um, This is This is If you want Jesus If you want to be a follower You have to have Jesus take control of Everything Not just the parts that you think need to be fixed, but everything. It's about Jesus infiltrating your life. John chapter six. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to camp there for a little bit. So while you guys are turning there, let me give you a little background. John chapter six. Um, and this is important for what's to come. So pay attention. It says um, in, in John chapter six, this is the feeding of the 5,000, right? It starts off, boom, 5,000. Have you guys ever heard that that story before, right? If you guys have been to church any length of time or once in your life, you've probably heard this story. It's where Jesus, they don't have any food. I mean, Jesus is ministering to his disciples. They're tired. They've been working hard. And they see all of these 5,000 people coming to them. Now, in that time, they didn't really count women and children. So there could have been maybe 8,000, 10,000. But we don't know that. So at least we know that there was 5,000 people there. They're coming. And they're like, the disciples are like, oh, dude, like, what are we going to do? We're tired. We want to just relax, you know. I want some me time. And, and Jesus says, feed them, you know. Like these people are hungry, feed them, care for them. And they're like, well, we don't have any money. That would take like you know, forever to, to even get enough money to possibly feed these people. And Jesus is like, Well, what do you have? You know, side note is Jesus doesn't need, he just wants what you have. He just wants the area of your life that you're willing to give. He doesn't need you to be some polished speaker, some some psychiatrist or counselor. No, he just wants you to be able to be molded and to be willing to be used. And so Jesus says, what do you have? They're like, well, we have this boy. He's got some fish, and he's got some loaves. Five loaves of bread, little barley loaves, and he's got two fish. Um, Not sure why he had five pieces of bread or loaves of bread in his lunch sack, but he did. Maybe, um, I don't know, but sounds like uh, a lot of bread. So anyways, he's got five loaves of bread and two fish, and, and Jesus is like, all right, Send it, you know, and so he sees it. He's like, all right, well, let's pray. So he takes it to the father, right? And he prays and he says, Lord, bless this food. May it, you know, may it feed the people. And so praise the disciples start handing out the baskets of food. And there was so much food left over that each disciple had one basket of leftovers. There was 12 baskets of leftovers. And, and so the people are amazed. They're like, yeah, free food. You know, they're like, Jesus, do something for us. You're awesome. They came to Jesus. They're all excited about who, what Jesus could bring to the table. They're excited about how Jesus could could benefit them in their lives. And they're like, we're going to follow you, Jesus. And so at this time, Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to send my my disciples. You're going to Capernaum. Um, They were like in Tiberias, which is like the Sea of Galilee right there. And so they're going to send them in a boat to to Capernaum. And I went to Israel back in 2009. And the Sea of Galilee is probably maybe three to four times the size of maybe five times the size of Lake Elsinore. So it's not like ginormous, but it's not super small either. It's, it's a medium-sized lake. I've never been up to like the great lake, so I'm not sure, you know, anyways, just to kind of give you a perspective. So, uh, Jesus sends his disciples in the boat. They travel over to Capernaum where they're going to go and, and do some more ministry and, and, and kind of, uh, hang out there. And, And Jesus goes up on the hill to pray. So he doesn't get in the boat with them. Right. And the people, I mean, there's literally thousands of people watching everything transpire. And so, The disciples get in the boat in the middle of the night and they're they're traveling and then this is the next story you've heard. It's all here in John 6. What happens? Jesus starts walking on the water to them, right? And they're like, it's a ghost, you know, what the heck, you know, this is weird. And Jesus is like, it's me guys. Don't worry. It's me. And Peter's like, well, if it's really you call me out there, you know, the, the one willing to, to step up and to be brave and to do it. And so Peter goes out there and you guys know the story. He starts to look at the waves and, and the, you know, and, and he starts to sink and Jesus saves him. Right. So when they get to Capernaum, finally, they're there in this city and there's all of these people waiting to see Jesus. And they're like, wait a minute, Jesus, you weren't in that boat. You must have teleported here. And so they're they're really after Jesus for what Jesus can offer them. They're like, wow, can you do us a miracle? And Jesus just got done feeding them. Right? So this is where we pick up here. In John chapter 6, Jesus, uh, they're asking. The the, the disciples, everyone's asking, do this for us. Do this miracle. And Jesus says this in verse 31. um, Or the people say this to Jesus. Excuse me. uh, They say, our fathers ate manna in the desert. Um, as is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Right? So, like, well, you just gave us real bread. Well, you know, God the, the Father, he, he gave our ancestors, he gave our fathers, like, manna. What can you do for us? Like, hey, my, our fathers got a bunch of food. What, you know, in order for me to really believe and follow you, you, you have to offer me something. Right? Like, when you go to buy a house or you go to buy a car. You're like, what is that car? What does that house have to offer me? This is, how, this is our outlook on life. How does this benefit me, right? Is that a fair assumption to say that this is how we, we view most things is how can this benefit me in my situation? I would say that that is correct, at least for me in my life. So I'm always looking, how can something benefit me? And this is exactly what the, what the disciples were doing and what the followers of Christ were doing. They were wondering, what can Jesus do to really um, convince me that, that he's the real deal? And so, verse 48, we kind of skip down through the chapter, and Jesus goes on to say, Look, you want manna? I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the desert, and they're dead. They're dead. You want to eat manna? You die. But if you eat of me, if you eat the bread of life, you will live. If you drink of me, you will never thirst again. Jesus always does this. We come to him with something that we want. And what does he do? He says, you don't really want that, Kyle. You want this. Jesus always has something better in mind. He always has the best interest for you in mind. That most of the time, that's not what you think your best interest is. You think you want this? Jesus says, "I've got this, though." And you're like, "Well, Jesus, I kind of know a little bit more than you. Um, I want this." And so this is exactly what the disciples said. He said, "Look, you think you want manna. You think you want this, this physical, or this physical food that, that will leave you hungry again, that will leave you um, wanting, that will leave you empty. but I've got so much more for you. Are you willing to, are you willing to say yes to that? That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. So look, skip down with me real quick. Here's a story, pick it up in context. In verse 53. So he just got done saying, look, you don't want manna. You want the bread of life. He says this in verse 53 of chapter six of John. Most assuredly, i say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life And I will rise him up in the last day for my flesh is food indeed. And my blood is drink. Indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks, my blood abides in me and I, in him as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread, which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers, um, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, He who drinks or he who eats this bread will live forever. So they were looking for the quick fix. They were looking for how can Jesus benefit me right now today? What can he do for me today? And I would say that there are probably many out here that are are kind of like these so-called followers. They're really fans. They want to know what Jesus can offer them today in their context. And Jesus says, look, it's not about what's today. It's about what's next. We live such a short life. I mean, 90 years, maybe 80 something years. That's it. We're, we're gone. Jesus takes us, right? So we are so concerned with this 80 or 90 years that we have here. When we, when we fail to realize and remember that eternity is forever, like Sandlot forever, Right? But we are so concentrated on the here and now. And Jesus says, look, you guys can have bread all you want. Eat it and you'll die. But if you want to live, eat of me. Jesus needs to infiltrate every aspect of your life and of my life if we truly want to be followers of Jesus Christ. It's not about what he can do to, to, to benefit us at this time. It's about us dying to ourselves, submitting to Jesus, and giving our lives 100% to him. And unless we do that, we cannot be his followers. We can be a fan, but we cannot be his followers. Jesus tells his followers, eat of me, drink of me, meaning ingest me, take me in, all of me. Not just certain aspects of your life, like, oh, I'll take Jesus with me on Sunday, but then I'll put him back on the shelf Sunday evening. um, So Monday at work, I can do my thing. Jesus needs to infiltrate every aspect of your life and he needs to change you from the inside out if you truly want to be a follower of Christ. In America, we want things fast. We want things our way. We want things just right. How many of you guys love Starbucks? Cool. Cool. I just became a Starbucks guy. I know, I, I was like, oh, those guys are so lame, right? So here I am, I, I'm, on, I'm a next level Starbucks customer now. I go to the Starbucks by my house and um, they call me by name. Uh, I don't know if this is cool or sad, I don't know, but um, I'm, I was kind of excited. I came home telling Sarah, like, yay, they know me by name, you know? So they know me by name, they know my drink, uh, Vente, or Vente Americana with heavy whipping cream and six packets of those brown little sugars, right? So that's what I get at, is that funny? Uh, I get six packets of those little sugars and they know me. And there's this sweet lady. She's probably like in her fifties. She works there. She's awesome. And uh, me and her, we talk all the time. And, and she's like, whispers over the counter. This is how I know I'm next level. She whispers over like the little glass counter. She's like, Hey Kyle, do you want an extra shot? I'm like, yes. You know? And so I tell her, yes. I'm like, what do you think the pastor would have done? Right? No, that's stealing. No, of course I said, yes, give me it. So I have to repent Lord. Um, I stole an extra shot. I think that's like a dollar or something. I'm not sure. I wouldn't pay for it if they made me pay for it. So anyways, like next level Starbucks. But I only go there because they, they give me exactly what I want. And they know exactly how I like it. Because it's all about who? It's all about me. Do we treat Jesus and our relationship with him that way? It's all about Kyle. So Christianity is not Burger King. We can't have it our way. Being a follower... It's not like you order off of a menu and say, I'll take this aspect, this aspect. No, it's the menu is what you take on when you say, yes, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It is everything. Everything. So the disciples, as they're, they're listening here, they, um, they don't like what they're hearing because they can't do things their own way. They, they want it to be, um, they have such a consumer mentality where it's like, well, if it's not this, this, and this, then, then I want no part of it. If I can't serve in the church, this, this, this way, I want no part of it. If I can't teach, then I don't want no part of it. If I, if I'm only setting up or if I'm only doing a growth group or if I'm only doing this, um, then that's not good enough for me. I don't want that. And how many of you guys are like, yeah. cause I've been there. We want to serve. We want to do things on our terms and our way. And Jesus didn't say it was going to be like that. No, Luke 9, 23. What does it say? Deny yourself. Take up your cross follow me. What about that has anything to do with you and your luxuries and me and my luxuries? Nothing has to do with Jesus and what he's called us to, not what you want and what, what, what you want him to do or what I want. And I want him to do has to do with what Jesus wants from us in our lives. So he's saying all this and and the disciples, they, they're not too keen on the idea. So look down at verse 66 of John chapter six. So Jesus tells them, hey, look, it's got to be me. You got to eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, meaning you have to be every part. I have to be every aspect of your life. And so they said this. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. I mean, let's, let's be fair and let's be honest to the The fans. There are some seriously committed fans out there. I am a football fan. Uh, I'm a 49er fan. I'm a Laker fan. I'm a USC fan. So, um, and I follow those teams to the T. Right? I know uh, who's playing. I know who's who's starting. I know when their bye weeks are. I know most things uh, about them. I know they're, they're, you know the Lakers starting five. Um, I know um, you know the the Niners starting lineup. I mean, I know my team. I mean, there are some fans out there like Green Bay, any Green Bay Packer fans, right? And so what they'll do is they'll literally go stand in Lambeau Field in December, in January with no shirt on and have a big G on their stomach and be like, yeah, you know, and they're, they're crazy, right? People will spend a lot of money on, on being a, a fan. People will do some crazy things um, because they're, they're fans, but they're just not followers. The coach is never going to call on them. Hey, you big guy with the G on your stomach, get in the game. Finish for me. No. And you know what? That guy on the outside, he's cool with that. Because coming on the field means he has to deny himself. And so the coach will never call on that fan to come on the field to take that last snap or to take that last shot or to finish the game. He won't. At the end of the day, he's just a fan. He's just a fan. Coach isn't going to call on him to bleed and die for the team because he knows where that guy stands. He's just a fan. So Jesus says the same thing with us in our Christianity, our walk with him. Are we on the outside cheering for Jesus? Are we on the outside cheering for Christianity and excited about it? Or are we actually in the trenches and doing the work of ministry? Jesus won't call on the guy out there. You don't have to be the greatest athlete to be on the team. He just wants you on the team. He doesn't care about your ability. He wants your availability. He's not looking for all stars. He's just looking for people to to, that he can turn and and mold and shape. And so, what is a what's a what's a fan? When push comes to shove, fans not going to get on the field. The fans they're, they're not on the team. They're just fans. And that's uh, it's kind of a hard thing to hear sometimes, but, it, but it's exactly what we need to hear to kind of wake us up from time to time. Because you know what? Jesus, he's called us to much more than just a life of mediocrity and a life of, of kind of setting the, the bar low and just, well, I can't be perfect. So uh, like that, we are too satisfied as the American church today with that kind of living. But God's called us to perfection. That's the standard he set for us. Are we going to come underneath it? Absolutely. But does that mean we settle for underneath it? Absolutely not. God's called us to a much higher standard, and that's being a committed follower of Christ. Unless we become followers of Christ, unless we give our lives 100% holy to Jesus, then we're never going to live the life that Christ has for you. Or never. If I didn't answer the call that God's called on my life, I would never be standing here today. I think about that. The very first time I ever got a chance to, to teach, um, you know, main service was back at the Vineyard Campus, and I taught on the story of, of uh, Luke um, chapter 5, when, when basically Peter got called to be a disciple, and, and he threw his nets in the water the night before, didn't catch anything, so Jesus the next morning says, hey, look, you know, go out, let's catch some fish, and, and he's like, uh, you know, I tried it, it didn't work, you know, but, but Peter said this, nevertheless, I'll do it, fine, I'll do it, Okay? He he tried it and what happened? He caught so many fish that he decided to leave fishing altogether and follow Jesus. So my question to you guys right now is what is that thing that Jesus is calling you to do that you're not willing to do? You'll never know the outcome. Who knows where Peter would be if he didn't follow God's call, if he wasn't a committed follower of Christ. So what drives people away from, from being a follower? There's many things, but I believe the, the, the one pressing issue is our pride. Um, I, I believe it's pride. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and to follow him. Uh, I, I, that's something that, that I struggle with is, is my pride. That's something that I'll always have to keep in check is, is my pride. And, and you know what? Uh, that's the very thing that God wants from me. That thing that you guys are holding on to is the very thing that God is calling you to let go and to give up. Um, Moses, there's remember the story Moses tells um, or God tells Moses, I want you to leave my uh, to lead my people out of captivity. And he's like, I, I, I can't, you know, and, and and he's got this rod in his hand, the staff in his hand. And God says, throw it down. He was like holding onto a tight. So he threw it down and it turned to a snake. It turned, made alive. And he said, pick it up. And he picked it up and it, and it was dead again. And I like to use that as a metaphor of our lives. What is that thing that we're holding onto that's just dead? And as soon as we let it down and let God have it, it turns to life. So I think sometimes we hold on to our pride and it's just dead weight. And, and, we're, and we're, we're sinking with our, with our pride. And um, Jesus calls us to, to deny that. The very thing that, um, that makes us think that we need to hold on to that is our pride itself. Listen, John um, chapter five, verse 19, it'll be up here on the screen, but I mean, listen to what Jesus had to say. Like, we think we can do so much without God, but really we can't do anything. And this is what Jesus had to say about it. He says, so Jesus explained, hey, look, I, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whether the father does, the son also does. So if we think sometimes that we can do things on our own, but that's not but Jesus, I mean, Jesus modeled the, the model that he set out for us was submission to the father. Jesus is God. He could do whatever he wants. Yet yeah, He showed us by submitting to Jesus, how we are to submit to one another, husbands and wives, wives submit to your husbands, husbands submit to each other. It says that in Ephesians just earlier on students submit to your parents. They're like, yes, yeah, submit to your parents. If we can't submit to one another, then how are we going to submit to God? If we can't submit to one another, how are we truly going to submit to God? God is asking us to submit, to give up our rights, the rights that we think we have, and to submit to him and let him take control. Pride, I believe that if we don't, if we don't kill it, it will kill us. Um, August of 2008, um, I had just started to take over the junior high and high school ministry at the church. Pastor Cody was was here on the, the very, last, um, very last event that he was going to let me, um, that he was going to kind of be at. And then I was going to take on the ministry by my own. I was going to run with it. You know, it was going to be awesome. I was going to save the multitudes. It was going to be great, right? And so August of 2008, we go to Oceanside, um, the pier. And if you guys ever, we're on the south side of the pier, so um, we're all hanging out there. It's probably like 10 students, maybe eight students, and, which was like giant for our youth ministry at the time. We're like, yeah, you know, we have double digits almost. Um, and, um, and so we're there, and this is August 2008, and, and uh, Cody and I were, were boogie boarding with some students out way out in the, um, the water, and, and, and uh, I'm thinking, I'm not catching any waves. It couldn't be that I just suck. I mean, it has to be something else, right? And so I'm looking out, and I was like, oh, the waves are out there where all the surfers are. I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm not a surfer, but how am I going to, I got to show these, these students that I'm the man, right? And I'm going to go out there and surf with the big guys, right? So I go out there on my boogie board, about halfway out on the pier, there's that bait shop. And so that's kind of like my frame of reference. I know I'm there, and, and, and I'm, I swim out there, and I'm just sitting on my, my paddle, or I'm sitting, I paddle out there, I'm sitting on my board, and, and I'm, I'm like looking towards the shore, and, and I see everyone's catching waves up there. I'm like, oh, they Left, you know, so I start paddling in, and, and I'm like, yeah, this is taking forever. And I look to the side, and, I, and I'm still there in the same spot, and I'm like, It's weird, you know. So I'm paddling in again, and I look on the same spot, and, I'm like, and at that point, I was like, I'm in a rip tide or rip current, you know, like, I'm gonna die. I'm like, tired at this point, you know, but I'm not gonna show that to my students because I'm the man, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna show them how awesome I am, and I'm gonna surf with these big boys, even though I was on a boogie board, which is not cool if you're a surfer, but I didn't know that, you know? Um, and so I'm, I'm like, all right. Um, and then as soon as I realized I was in a rip curtain, I start swimming, uh, you know, parallel to the shore, which is apparently what you're supposed to do. Um, I I do that. And then out comes the water, a glistening David Hasselhoff Jr. Um, to rescue me, a lifeguard came (laughs) to rescue me. And I'm like, I ain't having this, you know? There's too many people that are looking at me to be their, their lead, their leader, their, their fearless leader. If I get saved, if I have to submit to this dude and I have to humble myself, then they're going to think I'm a chump. Like, no way. And Cody's there. Save the red guy, you know? Like, Cody's there, you know? But they see the big guy huffing and puffing, and they're like, that guy's going to die if I don't save him. And I'm like... But he's, and I don't know what happened with Cody. I mean, it was all blur. And, and the guy's like, hey, I'm here to save you. I'm like, I'm cool. I'm like, I'm all right. Um, I, I told him that. And he's like, he was so sweet. He was all, oh, it's okay. He was like, um, well, I'm already out here. So let me help you. You know, I'm like, all right. You know, I don't want to get you fired. You know, it's kind of like what I'm thinking. <laughs> you know, I know you got probably got your bosses watching you. And this is, uh, so he, uh, he throws me his red deal, you know, whatever that thing is, you know, whatever David Hasselhoff has and the little thing. And I grab onto it and he starts swimming. And I was like, I should have said, Hey, can you just go under the water and swim? So no one sees that I'm getting dragged in by a 14 by year old blonde hair, blue eyed kid, you know? Um, and so he's dragging me ashore. And what happens when you're, when you get on shore after a lifeguard rescue, this guy just got bit by a shark. He's dying. What's wrong with him? Everyone huddles around. It's like like a fight at school. Everyone's like, you know, everyone wants to see what happened. Who said what? You know, what's going to happen next? And so that's what happened with me. I swear. I mean, it probably was like 30 people, but it felt like this many, you know? And I'm like, cool. You know, I was helping him out and re- routine rescue. But here's the thing is that I had a choice. I had a choice. Either I submit to that dude, Either I, I, I humble myself and I allow him to save me or I die in my pride. Two options, because I was tired and there was no doubt I was caught in a rip current In my pride today, I'd say, oh, yeah, I probably could get out of it. But let's be honest, I was probably drowning. <laughs> Thanks guys. But the same thing is true with, with, with us and Jesus. We have two options. We either, one, we submit to Jesus and allow him to rescue us. Or two, we die in our pride because we're too arrogant to realize that, that Jesus needs control of my life to, for, for me to be able to do anything in my life. Jesus has to be our savior. Jesus has to be the one rescuing us. If we fight him, if we keep him at arm's distance, then we're gonna die in our pride. I was gonna die in Oceanside on the very first event I ever did and it was gonna be terrible. But I chose to submit to this 15-year-old kid. And that is humbling, by the way. Okay? That is humbling. So I submitted and I lived. And so it's pride that that makes us think that that we don't need a savior. It's pride that makes us think that... um, It's it's our pride that, that scares us to death of letting go. And it's that thing that we're not willing to let go of. It's that thing... That very thing is what Jesus commands of us to let go. Each one of us struggle with different things, pride, whatever it is, but God's asking you to lay it down so he can make it alive. Lay it down. But I think that our, our pride, if we don't kill it, it's gonna kill us. Why are we fighting so hard to keep that thing that, that Jesus wants, that rightfully belongs to him anyways, which is our lives? Luke nine twenty three. Go ahead and turn back there. <laughs> there, there are three things that that <clears throat> excuse me that Jesus commands of us. He doesn't suggest; he commands of us. They are this: deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow. Luke nine twenty three. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So why are those things so hard? Why can't Jesus just make it easy? I mean, there would be, there would be 243,750,500 Christians in the United States today. There would be if Christianity was so easy, but it's not, it's the hardest thing that any one of us will ever, ever have to do. It's denying the sin. It's, for some, it's losing relationships. Jesus calls us ahead. He says, hey, I want you to, to hate your mother, hate your father. If you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to push your, um, to put me first, if you're not willing to put me first, then you, can, you cannot be my disciple. Now, when Jesus said, I want you to hate your mother, hate your father, he didn't literally mean I want you to hate them. He meant, I want you to put me first, not your mom, not your dad, not your wife, not your husband. I want you to put me first. Now, this is the reason that 243 million people aren't truly followers and they're just fans is because they're not willing to deny themselves. They're not willing to pick up their cross daily and they're not willing to follow Jesus. Denying yourself, it means that, that we submit, we give up. We literally give up. We we basically sign the pink slip of our life and we give it to Jesus and say, you are in control, no longer me. Jesus can't lead if you guys are leading. He can't. Jesus can't be in control if you won't deny yourself. If you're always looking out for you and your best interest, are you really denying yourself? Are you going and getting that which you, you, you take as yours? Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. We, are, we have to, you know, submit to God. We got to give up. We have to wave the white flag, meaning I surrender. I give up. I can no longer do this on my own. I need you, Jesus, for every step of my life. That's what denying yourself means. Picking up your cross. Now, we have distorted what the cross has stood for in the last 2,000 years since Jesus. Um, a cross is something we hang on our necks, uh, something we... we, we put on the long of a thing with beads around it and we hold it to pray and, and a cross is something we'll get on our arms and, and we'll, we'll pl- plaster up on, you know, our walls at home. And, and, um, and yet back in Jesus' time, what did the cross stand for? Death. It, torture. Jesus is saying, You have to be willing to die for me and my sake and my gospel. If you want to be my follower, you have to literally walk down death row. I think David Guzik, he's he's a pastor. I love him. He says it really awesome. Let me quote him. He says this, we have sanitized and ritualized the cross in these last 20 centuries after Jesus taking up a cross wasn't a journey. It was a one way trip. There was no return ticket. There was never meant to be, or there was never meant to be a round trip. There is no plan B when it comes to taking up your cross. That means you're willing to walk down the one-way street towards Jesus. You're willing to die for the sake of the gospel. You're willing to lose relationships over your relationship with the Lord. Then that's okay. That's what denying yourself means. And the third thing that Jesus asks of us, every single person, is that that we follow him. Isn't it weird that a follower should be someone who who follows? Right? Right? That means we don't look back. That means we move on. We don't look back. Luke nine sixty two. It's just down a little bit from where we're at in 20, verse 23. So verse 62, it says Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's going over, you know, how much it's going to cost them to truly follow Jesus. And he says, um, you know, let me back up in verse 60. And Jesus is saying, look, let the, bed, let the dead bury their own dead and you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and, and bid farewell to, to those who are at my house. And Jesus says this, it says, no one having his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Ouch. We spend too much of our time in our lives looking back, looking back. What happened to, to Lot's wife when she looked back at her sin? Smoked. I'm not saying it's going to happen to you guys. But there's consequences for, in our lives for looking back at our past and what used to be. Jesus says, no, we need to move forward. We need to move forward. That's what following me is. It's not following at a distance. It's being on his hip following. We, we as Christians will, will wear a cross around our neck or on our tat- uh, tattoo or, or whatever. We will wear a cross. But, but let me ask you guys the question. Are you guys willing to... To bear your cross. You, you'll wear it. But are you willing to bear the cross? We've turned it into. A ritual. But it's not that. It's the very thing that Jesus gave his life for you and I on. Following Jesus is. Is, uh, is costly. It costs the disciples much. James and John left their dad Zebedee. They left him for Jesus. Peter and Andrew left their, their, their business, their fishing business for Jesus. Uh, Matthew, the tax collector, he, he left a ton of money on the table to follow Jesus. So following Jesus is costly. It's not, an easy, it's not the easy road like we would like it to be. I mean, let's, let's be honest, we want it to be easy, but it's just not. Jesus is calling us to lay down everything. Denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following Jesus calls for a complete and utter devotion to him. One hundred percent of our life must be devoted to Jesus. Um, there's a man by the name of uh, Hernan Cortez, and he's a he's a Spaniard, and he led a um, he led six hundred Spaniards and and uh, eleven ships and sixteen horses to this new world to conquer it. The new world offered gold and rubies like the like the world had never seen before, and uh, so they set sail for um, the Mayans in Mexico. They set sail to conquer them and to take the treasure and take the riches and and to live this this new life in this new world. And um, no one had ever been able to conquer uh, the Aztecs before. They were a pretty uh, civilized um, nation. They had their stuff together. And so many would come in and and fail miserably. And and why Cortez thought it would be any different, I don't know. But what he did is he took his men in there. They started to fight, and as you can imagine, a new world, new place where you know nobody, and where things are hard, they started murmuring with, with, with one another, Cortez's men, they said, you know what, let's go back, there's our ships right there, let's get in our ships, and let's just sail back, our family's back there, comfort's back there, safety's back there. And Cortez got word of what was going on with his men. And what he did is he gathered all of his, his men together on the beach there. And, and, and he said three words that uh, changed the, the history today. He said, Burn the ships. His men were looking back at what, 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 what their old life could offer the fun and, and, and the, the, comfort, uh, the comfort that their old life could offer. And he says, You know what? No. We are going, we are fighting, we are going to, to conquer. It's time to burn the ships. And this is exactly what Jesus is asking of you guys and of myself. He is asking us to to not look back, to burn our ships. What ships do you guys have in your lives that need to be burned? What is your go-to plan B that you always revert to when things get tough? When the going gets tough, are you gonna stick it out and be a follower? Or are you gonna run back or sail back to the land you used to know and be a fan. So the story goes on, they burn the ships and they end up conquering the new world because there was no plan B. It was fight or die. And that's what Jesus is asking of us. We need to fight, contend for the faith. We need to fight. There are schools are, are allowing um, co ed locker rooms. We need to fight. Jesus is calling you, he's calling me to burn our ships. Don't look back. Don't look at the easy life that was once behind us. Press forward. It's about pressing on. Philippians chapter three, and we'll close here. Verse 13 and 14. It's up on the screen. It's the apostle Paul speaking. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm moving forward. I am taking this gospel and I am moving forward. Jesus is calling you to deny yourself, to submit to him and to move forward in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you thought that you were a follower of Jesus, but after hearing the difference between a fan and follower, you realize you're just a fan. Well, I just want to say this to you today, that if you're a fan and not a follower, Jesus is, is pleading with you, submit to him. It's not enough to come to church. It's, that's not enough. That's not going to save you. Jesus and his blood shed for you is the only way. It's the only hope. And if you don't have that, you don't have hope. Are you guys ready to be fans? Are you guys ready to be followers?